cliffcentral.com. Right, welcome to the Renegade Report. This is our last show for the year. So um, if you're listening, thanks for listening. And uh, Ramon? Well, I don't know if they will be happy that it's our last show, but uh, yes, don't worry, we'll be back. Not bad, eh? We started with six to prove a point, and we've done, how many have we done? 30, uh, close 40. on 40, yeah, right. close on 40. So not too bad. Uh, uh, if uh, Prof Maguve had the podcast in Braille, he would uh, definitely enjoy it, I think. Don't, don't you? If that would be possible, indeed. But anyway, if you thought 2016 was bad, just wait till next year. Yeah, 2017 is just waiting for you. It's got a gift yeah. mask. It's just, it's ready to go. And always remember, it's not the year that sucks. It's just you. Basically. So, so on that note. On that high note. Um, we will be back in early January, but uh, let's get to this show. Uh, we thought it only reasonable to uh, bring... Uh, a little known radio presenter You know, we like to give little guys Opportunities on this show um, So um, This guy isn't well known But uh, Gareth Cliff is joining us today Right, apparently he's a, a, a DJ That's yeah. someone who can't Write music, is it? Yeah, well his book says he's a shock jock A shock jock This okay. is the worst introduction <laughs> I've ever received for anything in my life Welcome Gareth I don't even know why I agreed to At it. least we're not like blowing smoke up your ass Which you know is, is the usual introduction no. Is it not? No I, I mean you'd probably have it uh, the other way around That I should be blowing smoke up your ass Because you guys have got so many downloads every month Well done <laughs> Oh, thank you. Well done The listeners of go. the Renegade Report really do love the Renegade Report <laughs> Alright go on yeah, What do you right. want to know? Right so Gareth uh, how are you doing otherwise in the final few weeks of oh, it's 2016? Been a, it's been a big year for the world. I mean, everything has changed. Everything. Yes. Uh, there are some fundamental political and ideological cracks and fissures developing. And I think a lot of the, I suppose, that the, the, the wisdom that was has been discredited. Uh, the people who we thought we could trust in, in media are no longer the people who we can go to for sensible analysis and opinion because they've all been proven to be completely discredited and uh, we live in a world now of of uh, partly a world of crazy ideology which has no basis in fact and then also a world of science trying to assert itself um in 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 a sea of feelings which is madness but you must be uh, extremely depressed that your favorite ever president it will no longer be. Barry is leaving the White House. You, I don't, I don't know why you two have such an issue with this guy. He, it, on the basis of numbers, he's done a terrific job. In, so, in terms of bombings, I agree. No, I'm talking Drone about the strikes. economy. I mean, he's handing over an economy to Donald Trump now. That it is Donald Trump's to mess up. He didn't do anything to them. What has he done for the economy? He, 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 excuse me. Increased Unemployment taxes. is right down. Yeah, unemployment in to, Venezuela is 8.4%. So, you know, I mean, that's North, fantastic numbers. It's, well, it's lower in America. <laughs> in North Korea, it's 2% unemployment. That's because you could tell people to do something when you need them to do it, and they have to do it. But all he's done is increase part-time employment, so there's more people working it at McDonald's. Does, why are you nitpicking? You won't give this guy any leeway here. You won't I, give I, him I, a I, scrap I, of credit. I, I, I will acknowledge yeah. that his only real faux pas was throwing his weight behind Hillary Clinton in this election, which cost him a huge amount of credibility and, and he messed up on ground. terrorism. He, listen, terrorism, who's going to get it right? Do you think Donald will? No. Because terrorism is an amorphous, complicated thing. It's not cut and dried and easy to understand. But as someone who likes it free speech... It doesn't operate like a state. But as someone who likes free speech, Gareth, surely you have a problem with uh, him, Assange. him jailing uh, whistleblowers far more than any other previous administration combined. I do. I do. And, and I think it also bears some saying that the guy has not... Uh, completely delivered on his promises to pull out of uh, the Middle East, to stop drone warfare, to uh, clear out Guantanamo Bay. There are a lot of things that he couldn't do or that he didn't want to do. And I'm not going to say that... that I, you, I've said this a thousand times in my show. There is no such thing as this perfect godlike father figure that we can all expect to lead us in, 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 in perfect song, in chorus, every step of the way. Isn't that, isn't that though, why... 
guys like us and other people have an issue with with Obama, it's not because he's necessarily uh, done everything right or everything wrong. Um, it's just because the media has treated him like he has done everything right. So, you, you, and you can compare. There are comparisons of, for example, Bush and. But then your anger is misplaced. It should be directed at that media. Oh, we're not angry. No, but I mean your, your disappointment at <laughs> right. least. The, the fact that you've got an, an, an axe to grind yeah. is with CNN and with MSNBC and, and with the Huffington Post and just, with all these publications. Just because, fake news. Sure, because these guys have been um, partisan from the get-go. Yeah. Well, they paid all one side. So, I mean, the, the economy I mean, they gave him is, the Nobel one Prize argument. before he'd done anything, which yeah. is another example of how ridiculous Well, they gave him a Nobel Prize for de-escalating or saying he wanted to de-escalate nuclear weapons and then not actually doing that. Doing nothing but, like it. But, but, but it's, it's it, the economy, for example, he's increased the deficit. So um, it's very easy to um, make your economy much better when you just keep spending money. Every president since Reagan has increased the deficit. I think Clinton actually brought it down, if I'm not mistaken. Clinton did hand over some kind of a surplus in terms of tax, but I don't think he did in terms of the deficit. I think it pretty much stayed where it was, if not got worse. So a question for you. Uh, why do you think people care deeply about uh, presidents and state leaders? Okay, yes, they, they, they hold important positions, but why do you think people have this uh, almost like innate feeling that this president needs to be one of us and needs to look after us? It's a bit um, odd. I think there's an... There's an instinctive primitive need for a chief and it comes from the days where we you know the alpha male usually would be the one who surveyed the territory and assessed it for danger and led the tribe to fruit trees and hunting grounds and would impregnate the women first and that kind of thing it comes from a very basic and primal place i i assume i'm not an evolutionary psychologist but i would assume that's where it comes from for a lot of people it's still the way that we we operate. Um, for many people, it's still the way they want to operate. It's the safety and security of knowing there's going to be someone looking out for me. It's the same reason religion continues to persist. And people who are smarter than me, like Sam Harris, have found that there are very good reasons for religion to have originated and for religion to have sustained itself as long as it has. And part of that is this inbuilt desire and need among normal, uh, semi-sentient <laughs> upstanding primates to have something to look up to, to have something to aspire to, and also some something who they can trust in to look after them. It, it's an abdication of personal responsibility in some way. Yeah, I mean, Bill Burr had a great piece where he said, you know, Obama wasn't that great. I mean, he's been here for eight years. I mean, how many times has he called you? Like, when did he make you a sandwich? Ever. <laughs> Never. Crap president. When did he call you? Nothing. All right. But you guys, you're, you're completely um, unemotional and and unmoved by the fact that this guy has been an, an inspiring, um, a, a, a tremendously good communicator, a, a leader of, of, against really some very tough odds. The Republicans have given him not a single space to move in. Every time he's tried to do anything, whether it was Obamacare, whether it was the bailout, whether it, he had just resistance and, and obfuscation from them at every step. You, you have to acknowledge that there hasn't ever been a president who's played the media better, even if the media were partisan from the beginning. Mm. There's never been a guy who's been able to show such versatility in office in terms of his ability to speak to young, old, poor, rich, um, white, black. He really has symbolized... As, as long as they live on the east or west coast, because what he's done is he's made the Democrat Party, and this is what no one's picking up from the election, but what he really has done in his presidency is he's turned the Democrats from a party across um, the entire country to a party of the East and West elites. Um, and that's, that, yeah, you that's could have where accused, it, that's You could have accused left. George W. Bush and Karl Rove of doing the same to the Republican Party in reverse, where they turned it into a party of Hicks and Arkansas and Kansas and Tennessee, and they took it out of the, the East and West Coast. There used to be a lot of very sensible, moderate Republicans, mm. uh, people who believed in smaller government, people who were... Well, George Bush was part of that group because George Bush was part of the... And the people he surrounded himself with were part of that neocon group from the 60s. Yeah, but what they did is they then moved into the territory of the evangelical Christians and the Tea Party and that lunatic asylum. And it did for the Republican Party what you, you're accusing Barack Obama of yeah. doing to the Democrats. Except the the... 
you know, I think I give people, individuals more credit in, than the media gives them, uh, which is that to say that the Democrats have lost uh, things you won't you won't read in in the mainstream media, but they've lost a lot of uh, gubernatorial races. They've yep. lost uh, a lot of um, sort of state senates, state houses, etc., uh, which are unheard of in democratic states. So yeah. states that vote blue. Listen, in the end, the the legacy of Obama is going to be horribly tarnished by the re- the results of this last election, and he did throw in with Hillary. He has lost the House, the Senate, which were already in Republican hands, but now the Supreme Court is totally within Donald's ambit. He can appoint three new justices at a minimum in his next four years, which means that the entire Supreme Court could be very much weighted to the conservative side by the end of his his first term. If he goes for another term or not, that's another it's debate. But essentially, every aspect of government, and you mentioned the, the gubernatorial races mm. too, so you've got governors in different states who are also Republicans now. This is a this is a perfect setup. If Donald can't achieve things, he can blame no one but himself. Oh, absolutely, and he won't achieve certain things because he's he, we know the problems with Donald. But wait yeah. before we get to Donald. What is the big problem with say the Supreme Court going a little bit more conservative? What is the big deal about Justice Scalia dies? Mm. Um, if you're not basically working for CNN, uh, you would acknowledge that he was a superb. Uh, justice um, on that court. Well, well he was, but he also had this idea of of his own moral righteousness, which is always a problem I have with conservatives, is that they tend the the basic thing, the basic premise is that conservatives tend to prefer order Mm. and leftists prefer anarchy. This is generally the rule, right? And and here, and I'm not talking about anarchism, but yeah. anarchy. Yeah, chaos. Less, they want less, chaos. Yeah, chaos. chaos so, so let's say that Antonin Scalia had um, certain moral imperatives that he believed, for example, in the sanctity of life, or he believed that gay marriage was wrong, or any of these things. That, to me, is problematic, and I don't use that word lightly, <laughs> in, in a 21st century where really we have to live and let live. I'm not saying we have to build transgender bathrooms all over South Africa or all over America, but there needs to be an acceptance that certain people are just not in the norm category. They're in the weird category. They're in the wacky category. They do their thing. They wear a dress. They, uh, they, they, they were once a, a decathlete at the uh, Olympics, and now suddenly they're a... a very, very ugly woman. It, all of this is possible in the 21st century. And Antonin Scalia came from a time and place where very little was possible except that rigid idea of a perfect model family and going to church on a Sunday. And a lot of stuff I don't think you would agree with either. I don't, I don't think you would have actually got along with him. He was a grumpy, uh, angry, slightly old school traditionalist, you could say Perhaps I, sexist backward. I, I think on a personal level, know? I 100% agree with you. But, I, for example, the flag-burning issue that was raised recently by Trump, who mm. was completely wrong on that, yeah. wants to sort of jail people who burn a flag. Yeah. Um, uh, as it happens, the Supreme Court ruling on that was uh, uh, for flag-burning, and the deciding sort of vote or the deciding ruling came from Scalia, mm. who voted against his fellow conservatives that, yes, um, he doesn't agree with it, and he thinks it's wrong. Well, don't we want independent thinkers? In yeah. that case, in this example, he, he's a good example. There are probably many other cases where you could cite him as a bad example. Mm. But the point is that on the Supreme Court, I actually think it would be favorable for America if they didn't have partisan appointments. If the appointment was on the basis that that judge is just a sterling judge, on the basis that this is someone who really knows the law well. And there are good people in the Supreme Court. I don't know it as well as I did when... Uh, I mean, who was the previous uh, Chief Justice Rehnquist? Yeah. Um, when he was on, I knew who all the judges were. I've sort of stopped paying attention because I've, I've lost interest. And a lot of the big stuff is already decided law. A lot of the big things are already there. I think they'd have a huge difficulty rolling back things like Roe v. Wade. Um, I think many women in, in America feel that their their right to do with their bodies what they will is now an established right. It doesn't need to be considered again by a bunch of, 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 of Christian moralists. I don't want those people deciding on behalf of me or anyone else what we should do with our bodies. And I think things like gay marriage, we've moved on. It's it's a victory. Let's count it in the, the list of things that are no longer issues we need to get hot under the collar about. In a civilized Western democracy like America, certain stuff you can now say is accepted. 
Well, it was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was civilized until uh, three weeks ago. Was it? No, a month ago when um, Mr. Trump became the president-elect. And he's actually the one that's going to bring the Republicans into the more modern age without the Christian evangelicals. Because A, yeah. he... he, he uh, it's probably agnostic. No, oh, oh, he's definitely... He's a third-party candidate yeah. running as a Republican. I but, mean, I think Obama was probably the first atheist president. Oh, yeah, Jeff, Although he'd never admit it. He attended Jeffrey Wright. I've attended baptisms and I've attended uh, funerals. It doesn't suddenly make me a Christian. Obama wasn't a Muslim. No, no, well, come I'm, on. I'm, I'm, asking, I'm asking. No, I'm not, come on, we're not guys, peddling that nonsense. Yes. But I'm saying, would it be worse if he came out and said he, that, that he actually turns out, guys, I was an atheist? Um, do you think it would be worse than being a Muslim for well, the American we, we people? Know, we know that no, they're, they're freaked out at the, at the so. possibility that he could be a Muslim. They're, they're on a par. We know that it would be harder for a, a, a gay president, I mean, a, a, a atheist president, to be elected than a gay president. I think a Muslim president would probably find favor in, in a large group on the left. I think there are also a couple of fundamentalist Christians who would prefer someone of the book than someone who doesn't believe in the book. So you, you'd have to, I mean, it's a, it's a highly improbable um, test case scenario. But well, I do after think, Trump, it's, I mean, anything's possible I now. I do think Barack Obama is probably a non-believer. He's the first president to ever acknowledge non-believers in his inaugural speech, which was something we've never heard before. And I think Trump doesn't give two dams about what you believe in, what your fantasy world consists of. I don't think he cares. He's a thorough pragmatist. And neither should the what, government, though. No, they shouldn't. And I think Trump is going to probably surprise a lot of people because he, we already know that he was mostly a Democrat for most of his adult life. Indeed. And he, he, he parasite rode the Republican Party through this election. He tamed them because they were an unruly eight-headed beast with people like Michelle Bachman and Sarah Palin and the Tea Party and whack jobs. And then you have Governor Christie, who's a little more moderate. You had people like Giuliani. It was a monster. And all he did was he rode roughshod over the lot of them. He, he destroyed most of the other people in the, in the primaries. Now he's talking to them all again. He's thinking about having Romney in his cabinet. He's already appointed uh, Ben Carson. This is going to be a very interesting time. And what you see about Trump that is immediately, uh, to me, an optimistic sign, is that he is more pragmatic than ideological on almost every matter. If he gets smart people in a room and they educate him about an issue like, uh, I don't know, a trade deal with China, <laughs> you'll suddenly see the guy start to warm to the idea that there is a benefit to him delegating that responsibility and not being a traditional politician about it and mouthing off in rhetoric and ideology and not having a practical solution. He wants practical solutions because he wants to be... The one thing you know for sure, wants he to wants be to make America great. No, no not he locked. really means it. He wants to make America great again. See, I, he means that. Well, someone, uh, Scott Adams, who, who writes Dilbert uh, yep. cartoons, he said he will be the first plumber president, so to speak. He'll, he'll be the first one to actually plug all the holes and fix the leaks and, and be like a real service because he's not an ideologue. That's, the, that's yeah. the key thing. He doesn't care about ideology, but, but which is why he tripped up everybody who does. Of course. From the right to the left. He destroyed the Republicans in the primaries. He said, I don't care about your evangelical Christianity. He said to them, I don't care about your conservative or your liberal view on something. It's not important. He wants to make America great again. Then he turned his attention on Hillary and on the left, and he tore them apart. They had no argument to counter his, and he's the best persuader that has ever lived. We forgot to mention, her name is Crooked Hillary on the show, <laughs> and it will remain so until she goes Shame. to prison. Have you <laughs> seen all these pictures of her in shopping malls? And, and they're all set up and hiking. Well, the hiking one was definitely set up because the woman she took the photo with now? was a, a Democratic National Party uh, oh. uh, like spokesperson or something. So, uh, uh, pretending to not be not one of the ones she fired and then hired. Uh, I don't know. Hey, the, the Clinton Foundation donations have run dry since she lost. So Aren't she there needs, people asking for she, refunds? I, I would assume well, so. In Saudi Arabia, maybe yeah. in Qatar. I, I imagine you know they they don't like giving millions of dollars and getting nothing in return. Look. Um, I, I, I don't know that Trump is going to be the answer to all, all these uh, blue-collar workers in America's prayers. In fact, I can guarantee that he won't be. I think he's going to disappoint a lot of rural hick white people because they think, oh, well, there's no chance to be in charge again. And that's how they see it. It's just, for them, it's purely there's some kind of very primitive dialogue going on in their heads between 
it, it went too far to the one side, now it's going to come back to the other side. And they suddenly think they'll be able to go around shooting each other at will and you know, that's a, that's and a, bringing back slavery. I don't, much I, of other no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't I think there that. are actually people like, look, it's a small minority. But yeah. I think that those people are the first to be disappointed and they'll, they're going to wake up with a very bad hangover but, but after you, it happens. You need to, for some, a place like Michigan to, to turn around. And yes, it is, uh, there's a lot of blue collar workers, but there's a lot of people working in banks there. Mm. Um, and the reality is for a state that voted, um, to, for, well, I think for, they voted for Mitt, uh, because he was their guy, but uh, before they voted for Obama, they have gone blue several times. Uh, the reality is, is, is that um, I think identity politics played a much bigger role mm. uh, in, in, in all of this. And the left have learned nothing from this election. They've no, doubled they're down on to, it. They're sticking, they're sticking to down to you're a racist, misogynist, yeah. etc. I think that those guys. I don't think the average person. And, and let's just call it what it is, white person, um, because I think that's what's happened in America. I don't think the average white person wants to bring back slavery or any of that stuff. I don't even yeah. think they give a shit about being in charge. Well, I mean, we've discussed this. Where was the huge unhappiness? Where were the, where, when Obama was elected, right? People were against Obama, right? Remember that vote was also quite, uh, not very close, but the, not the, as close as this one. Not as close as this one, but well, this one's not close because Hillary won the popular vote by quite a margin. But the, so the popular vote was much closer with the McCain-Obama originally. There were people who were against Obama, but there weren't protests in the street. There weren't graffiti painted all over the place. Mm. No one was particularly racist, as, as they imply America is all the time. Um, people kind of accepted it. Even in the red states or whatever, they went, he's our president. Right. We're going to accept it. Now you've got the reverse well, the scenario. the Republican Party didn't. They, they stood against him every step of the way. Yeah, but politically, though, they yeah. didn't go out in the streets and... No, yeah, they, did, they did what was within their power. You know, sure. block Obamacare because socialist health care doesn't work. But, but you know, the, the, there was no violence in the streets, which, which there has been this time around. Um, it seems as if people in, on the streets of New York are unable to accept that Trump might be their president. Um, I, I think that I mean, comes, you were there. But that's, that's because Hillary built this powder keg and she was never able to detonate it and release the energy so she's been hyping people up on this idea that you're about to elect an orangutan literally hitler who, who is literally hitler who's going to bring back slavery who hates women who hates black people who hates mexicans and all of that is untrue but she hyped her people up to such a degree, because this is what the left has done, is they've chased everyone into identity politics territory. So now these people haven't had their, their come down yet. So they're still hyped up and she can't defuse them because she didn't win. She was sure she was going to win. That would have defused the problem. Mm. Now she hasn't. They've got a problem and it's not going to go away. The best thing about a Donald Trump presidency for me is that the left will actually, if they oppose anything he does, they actually have to oppose it on, on principled grounds. And not on identity politics anymore. So when he said, the, you know, if you burn the flag, you should go to jail for a year, everyone's like, oh, this is outrageous. So they're actually protecting freedom of speech because Donald Trump said something against it. Uh, do you yeah. think? Do you think that could not, be not a bad point, one of actually. the best one of the best reasons for his presidency, other than anything else? Uh, look, to me, there are there are good and bad things that could come out of this. He's a bit of a loose cannon. We don't know what he's going to do. He is he's he's a very unpredictable character. That's not necessarily good in terms of stable markets, in terms of certainty, in terms of good international relations. You know, he could wake up one day and say, I hate North Korea. Let's just bomb them. And he, he would. He would press the button. He wouldn't consult with anybody. There is also the opportunity here for us to reset things. For, for the first, and America's always wondered, what would a third-party candidate look like? Well, here's your chance to see. Yeah. You know, it was never going to be Ross Perot. It was never going to, I mean... Yeah, Ross Perot. It was never going to be yeah, um, Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson. None of these guys are going to hope in hell. Trump is actually a third-party candidate. No political background. He's a he's a showman. That's what he is. A yeah. lot of people say con artist. You could you could call him either. I don't think he'd be offended. I don't think he gets offended. I think he gets prickly with journalists. And interestingly enough, he 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 doesn't he doesn't pick on people like small people. He picks on people at his level. So he'll go after. A CNN anchor, or he'll go after Megyn Kelly, or he'll go after Roseanne, uh, Rosie O'Donnell. He won't go after people who are ordinary citizens. They can throw things at him the whole time, and he doesn't react to it. He's very good at that. I think that's statesmanlike. 
<laughs> is is anyone uh, going to be at his level now? So so because you know the way he's been described is he's he's a narcissist. That's why I said earlier that uh, I think he he wants to be liked. A lot of what he said, if you if you cut through the interpretation and the commentary on what he said, and you just listen to what he said, he keeps saying we're going to work together, we're going to unite, we're going to. And yes, they are key words and they everything that most politicians use. But he seems to be harping on it. He wants everyone to be friends. I, that's the sense I get from yeah. him. Um, why the hell would you go and even Well, he think? sees the world very in a vi- very binary fashion. He sees friends and enemies. Okay, fine. <laughs> but why? Let's be friends. But, 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 okay, but fair enough. But you could never imagine Barack Obama um, uh, offering, I suppose he did to Hillary Clinton, but four years later. But, but um, him offering Mitt Romney the position of, of Secretary of State, which mm. I think he probably will do in the end. Right. Um, this is a guy who turned around and said Donald Trump is amoral. He's not representative of the Republican Party. Um, he should not be our president. Uh, he's now eight months after those comments, considering this guy as the third in charge, basically. Well, this is the this is the point about him being a pragmatist. He sees someone with with good political credentials, someone who has uh, an understanding of the the system as it is who may be able to help him tame the system to what he wants it to be. But he also sees not um, necessarily an opponent in him anymore, but a resource. And that's what's, that's what's smart about a business person, is they don't really, they don't care about ideology or mm. they just want to make money. In this case, when he says he wants to make America great again, he means it. He genuinely is in this for, for ego. We can, it's, it's an open secret. There isn't anybody who goes, well, Donald Trump's not really egotistical. We all know that's what he is. That's the machine that, that has created the success that he's had in his life so far. And that's undeniable. I hear people saying, oh, but he's gone bankrupt once or twice. Some of the greatest people in business have had to go bankrupt once or twice to get to where they but are. But in America, being bankrupt is, is a way of life. Well, that's it. They but, make it so easy to be bankrupt and but, rebuild. But besides that. He, he doesn't need fame. He's got fame. He doesn't need fortune. He's got fortune. He probably lives in a bigger house than the White House most days of the year anyway. In Mar-a-Lago, this place he lives, is a paradise. It's a paradise. He's married to this beautiful woman. He doesn't need anything. The only thing he needs is legacy. The only way he's going to get it is by honoring that promise to make America great again. So he's going to go around and he's going to find ways to, to, to maximize productivity and to get things working. That's all he needs. If he does that... He'll have done enough. I, I would argue that only president of the United States who hasn't been an egotist in the last thirty years was George W. Bush. But because um, well, he d- didn't know, he didn't he, even know where he was half the time. He, he can't, Possibly, he can't spell but, but Barack Obama definitely cares about his ego, as did Bill Clinton, um, and sure, and the previous. But, but nothing Bush. on the level of Trump. I mean, <laughs> no, Trump is Trump, just Trump is just honest about it. No, I, I don't think. Listen, if Barack Obama looks, if you look back on his entire career as president, I think you will struggle. Even if you're a a right wing media acolyte, you will struggle to tear him apart at the level that we can tear apart almost every other president who came before him. They were also in love with JFK. What surfaced after that is this man who was riddled with health problems. He was deeply unfaithful. He had major <laughs> problems. Major problems with the truth. I don't think you're going to find those things about Obama 50 years from now. They've, they've dug. They've dug deep. They've still not been able to dig out an, a rotten root anymore. But that's why I don't like him. I know, but then you've, got to, have be, a, but then have you've a, got to be honest about he's it. He's not fun. But then you've got to admit, of course he's fun. He's fun to watch. He did the late night talk shows better than anyone else. He's, a great, he's a great celebrity. He's more entertaining than it had ever been under He's a great celebrity. Sure. That's the reason why Trump's president. That's actually the original reason. Fair did enough. you watch that? Did you watch that? Was it but 2012 guys, but where you, he but mocked Donald me, Trump? But you're giving me every other reason. Yeah. To, to not have to argue this point any further. You're admitting it's because you just don't like him. He's been too good at, at, at the public faces. <laughs> All right, enough of Enough of, enough uh, of that. Enough so, of Barry and, and yes. Donald. Yeah, I just want to throw this in quickly. I, right. I read this last night, and I thought it was quite um, telling. Uh, this is from Janie Allen, of all people. I don't know if you read the yeah, article. Yeah, yes, I haven't she, read she, she likes our page on In Facebook. truth, it seems that anyone who disagrees with a liberal is risking character assassination. When you call someone a racist, sexist bigot because you happen to disagree with them, this is a bully tactic. And then she ends off by saying, and I just love this because this is how I felt a lot of the time, and who knew I'd get this wisdom from her, of all people. Um, she said, uh, here it is, I long to have someone, anyone, 
ask me to debate or discuss my views. I happen to live in the bluest of states. And then she says this. This is, this is probably the most important part. Um, where she talks about how liberals don't have views. They have emotions and righteous anger. Lots and lots of righteous anger. And we're experiencing that in this country too. People on the left don't argue on a basis of fact or of their views, even if they are ideological views that have no basis in fact. They argue about their emotions. It's about how you make me feel. It's about the feelings of people. They often will ascribe to themselves the ability to read the feelings of large groups of other people. Oh, sure. You know, the disabled. I speak on behalf of the disabled, but you have legs. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I know how they feel. I can, I can empathize with them. This has become some kind you of... You can be trans-disabled for the day. And, and what they do then is they say that because you don't acknowledge feelings, because you want to have a sensible discussion about things, that you must be some kind of cold, calculating monster. Mm. And that's not true either. You just prefer to be rational about very practical things like health care, like government, like the, the, the tax system. These are just things that the left and right will never come to agree on because the left doesn't have a point of view on it. All right. So talk about the left and right. Let's bring it to South African context because we don't really have a right in South Africa. No, no. Um, not, a, not certainly. Uh, I mean, we've been described as everything on the right. Um, but in general, if you go to a store and you want to buy a newspaper or a magazine oh. or you want to turn on your radio and, you know, you want to listen to 24 hour programming that is either center, even I would argue, yeah. or center right. You, or even far right, if you happen to be on that on that wavelength, um, you're not going to find it. You will find it in France, isn't what going what, what's going on there is interesting because yeah. Hollande has just helped the ailing left to come back into the picture. All they have otherwise is, is the right and then the far right to choose from in their next election. Sure, and people think we've got problems. <laughs> Well, I think we do have problems. So yeah. we don't, we don't, because here's the thing is, is everyone's terrified France as an example of Marine Le Pen winning mm -hmm. um, an election there or even getting a lot of votes and having power um, to some extent. Uh, but at least at some level, the conversation is happening, right? Yeah. So, you know, in a democratic country, provided it remains democratic. So everyone, you know, Trump is literally Hitler and, and that, those mm. examples. Oh, the Republicans have control of the House and the Senate and it's yeah. going to be chaos. Right. But really what will happen is they'll do stuff. And if they don't do stuff, they'll probably be voted out. Just like the Democrats have also run the House and the Senate together before. And they didn't do stuff probably. And that's why they lost it. So... In South Africa, we're not having that conversation, though. So we don't have a right and a left conversation. It, does, it just doesn't happen, really. We've got, at best, a center conversation. Well, you know, Socrates is famous for a lot of uh, philosophical viewpoints, most of them which we regard very highly. Yeah. He was not a fan, fan of, of democracy. democracy yeah. And you know why? Because he didn't believe uneducated people should have a say about how governments are run. He said that's actually very dangerous. And he used the idea of a sweet shop owner and a doctor. And he said they'll, the, the, the mass of uneducated people will never vote for the doctor because he doesn't promise them sweets, even though the doctor knows better. This is the, this is the problem we have in South Africa. We have a huge number of uneducated people participating in a democracy. And I'm not going to judge because I'm not in a position to make the rules here. I don't, I'm not developing some utopian idea of how South Africa should be run. But you're absolutely right that we don't have a right. And people like me, who I think... I really consider myself to be quite sensible and pragmatic about most things. I don't have an ideological viewpoint on things like uh, abortion, gay marriage. You never get into those conversations in South Africa because it's kind of, you know, most people accept that it's unacceptable to be on the right on those things, and it's equally unnecessary to be on the left. Well, well I do think a lot of people are right-wing in the country. But it's they, a conservative but they country. keep themselves no, quiet. They, they, they're worried about jobs, food, yeah, that's things like that. They actually, so, got, they actually got real issues. And so are and a lot care. of people on the left who pretend to be on the left, but they're not really. They do it for, for, for the purposes of fitting in in the workplace or for virtue signaling or for an ability to belong to some kind of clique or club that keeps them in position. And very often, I mean, that's the problem with the ANC too, is that you have a whole lot of people in the ANC who are really just looking for a handout. They're looking for a government job because they wouldn't get a job anywhere else. And if they can't hold on to that government job, they're out on the street. Which is unfortunate because the ANC started off 
as a relatively, certainly as, as a governing party. They started off as a centrist party. Absolutely. They've lost their way. But a lot of people have lost their way in the last while because they don't go back to basic <laughs> principles. People don't ask themselves, do I have an ideological point of view on this? If I don't, do I have a practical point of view on this? If I don't, stay out of politics. Everybody wants to have a say. Everybody wants to have an opinion. And usually they want to have the most popular opinion. If they're going to have a voice, it better be left of center rather than right, because left is more socially acceptable. So you can say in the EFF outrageous things about land. Mm. And it's not going to get any... Nobody goes, oh, my God, that's terrible. What an awful... They go, oh, well, it's part of the political discourse, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, it's perfectly acceptable to talk about taking away people's hard-earned property. Or, that or they've worked for for generations or for at least their lives. Or for killing whites, but not yet. Yeah. I mean, no, no, that's that, okay, that you is, could say that, but, but God that forbid you should speech. go on Facebook and say something about the beaches and you'll end up <laughs> being the pariah of the world for the entire duration of the year, regardless of the fact that you happen to be some lunatic who lives in a, in a, in a south coast closed-off hovel. hovel. Nobody cares about your circumstances then. You must be inherently evil because you've expressed a point of view that's socially unacceptable for now. So let's talk about freedom of speech. I know it's your favorite subject. Mm. Uh, I think we all know your views. You're quite uh, ardent about it. You, you, you probably a what you would call a fundamentalist freedom of speech I don't advocate. Like, I don't like being called a fundamentalist anything. <laughs> okay, so a very ardent freedom of speech sure. advocate, uh, except for maybe when the person's outside the factory with a burning torch. Yeah. Anything else goes. Yeah, I don't, is, I don't want to see actual physical violence and destruction of property. Sure. So, who is the biggest obstruction or obstacle to freedom of speech in South Africa today? The ordinary man. Um, ordinary men and women who don't appreciate the rights that freedom of speech has bestowed on them already. The ordinary people who communicate via social media, who are using WhatsApp every day to share jokes, and don't fully appreciate that they're engaging with their, their basic rights when they do that. And aren't prepared to defend those rights when they come up in things like the hate speech bill, because they don't see a reason to get excited about the hate speech bill. They get excited about someone who says an outrageous thing on social media. They get excited about Julius, you know, whipping them up into a frenzy. Um, or they get excited about Musi Maimani when he says, let's ban certain kinds of speech, let's criminalize certain kinds of speech. They think that's something to be acceptable, to be supported. Mm. Now, that was where I took issue with Musi Maimani. That's where I've always had a problem with them. The DA are about as unprincipled a bunch of thugs as the EFF when it comes to the kind of proposed legislation they talk about. Well, they're very thought reactive. Crime. They thought crime. Well, of course, and they're opportunists. Look yes. at how they pitched up at the court when this guy was shoved into the coffin. And the DA, what on earth they have to do with this case, I have no idea. All of us are outraged by it. It's not particularly noteworthy that they're also outraged by it. It's political opportunism of the most flawed kind and it upsets me. It means that this is a party who are rudderless who are looking for populist attention. That's all they're looking for and that is not acceptable. That to me is the kind of thing we should weed out of our political system because it speaks to the lowest hanging fruit. And the problem with that is they think most people in the country are populist low-hanging fruit. Well, it tells pickers. you what they really think of us. And the same way as the ANC when they when when Jacob Zuma talks about clever blacks, he's telling you what he really thinks of people who improve their lives without ripping government coffers to pieces for it. He's telling you that he doesn't have any appreciation for your credibility, for your productivity, and for your work ethic. He's telling you in his mind anything you've achieved is probably not deserved. Now, that to me is something I can't with good conscience you go to sleep at night accepting and swallowing fully I mean I've always made the argument that three main political parties actually hate black people the EFF does want to give them land no, let, let me explain okay. EFF does want to give them land or uh, uh, what you call it um, land capacity agency anything like that if the state will own everything and they will decide what to do with it if you, if you deserve it that's good old socialism uh, ANC I mean okay ANC clever blacks uh, no title deeds we'll give you a house we'll still own it though and so we'll you keep the rural people in our thrall so that we can keep and getting we'll carry on feeding the grant and, system and we'll, yeah, we'll give you the grant system because then you are beholden indeed and then we'll, right. we'll keep the chiefs and the DA? in power. And, the, well, the DA, after this coffin case, they think black people feel really terrible about words mm. and about actions of two or three 
horribly wicked wicked people like these two people who put that uh, man in the coffin. Mm. And the DA rushes and says, this sort of thing is unacceptable to the ordinary black person. No. No. Why don't you let the ordinary black person decide? Yeah, I, if they're not can, up in court I'm always doing very, whatever they need to do, I'm always very suspicious. Stay away. I'm very suspicious of anybody who claims to speak on behalf of a group of people or who claims to know something about how groupthink works. Absolutely. Um, people who say, well, black people think or white people think or old people think old or young people think. think yeah. I think that's, that's the... It's what Bill Maher always calls the soft bigotry of low expectations, where you you go into a situation and you go, oh, well, shame the poor Mexicans. And I'll use them as an example because South Africans are, can relate to that more objectively than they can white, black, rich, poor. But let's say uh, someone in, in the U.S. political system decides that suddenly they're the appointed speaker on behalf of Mexicans. They haven't necessarily done any research around this. They don't, they, they've got anecdotal stories, people that they've met in the street and so on. That's how politicians work. They're not really interested in facts at all. And they go around then saying, well, Mexicans want X, Y, and Z, and, and Mexicans believe X, Y, and Z. And, and at the same time, they deny those people their agency by never actually asking them themselves. Absolutely. It's, it's a, it's a deep seated. If you want to talk about an idea of privilege or an idea of supremacy, it's those people who appoint themselves are representatives. I mean, what kind of an inflated sense of self importance do you have to have to become a representative in parliament or to go to the, the, the house of representatives in America, the Senate? And speak on behalf of bunches of people that you, you actually aren't sure that you are in, in, in any way mandated or empowered to speak on behalf of. In any case, in any normal functioning Western democracy, your turnout at the polls is maybe 50, maybe 60 percent. So actually, it's likely that a minority, a sizable minority or even a majority of people don't care about you. Well, At very least. Well, well, here's a classic example. In 2016, 15 million people voted. 18 million who were eligible to vote did not vote. Now, they don't care about the politicians no. at all. They didn't ask them to speak on their behalf. But there's no popular, They're not interested. But there's no popular mandate. That's what people don't get. So people are always about, oh, the ANC is doing this, and they won the vote by 64%. Yes, but 50% or 60% of the voters did not vote at all. So the ANC has maybe 22% of the actual vote yeah. in the country. Now, I mean, that's like the new pass mark. It's just not <laughs> yeah, good for enough. Maths, yeah. No, it's just not good enough. So, yeah. Well, all right. So, don't you think there's some pragmatism to, to it, though? So, you know, let, with those three parties we've talked about, and I, I hate talking about the EFF as a, one of the main parties because I don't think they are. 8%. Um, uh, yeah. 8% in a local government election, 6% at the national level. That's mm. what they got last time. Yeah. And we'll wait and see what they get next time. Okay. Um, but, but, you know, even if we look at them as as the big three, you, you you're going to the polls. Uh, you know, obviously we know people like Ramon won't vote, but there will there will be people that vote. I don't really want to get into that debate of, of whether we should or shouldn't. The system is such that our government works based on people going and writing an X in a box, and then that government gets voted in. So if you're going to be pragmatic, um, you've got to pick one of them, even if you don't like any of them really. Or you can choose not to pick one of them, but one of them is going to win. One of them is going to sit in power and going to make laws and are going to do things that affect you. So isn't at that point, don't you go, all right, well, it's the whole lesser evil argument. Uh, democracy is such a complicated animal. You know, it's, it's the, the worst, the best of the worst systems. And, and part of me kind of warms to the ideas that I know Ramon stands for anarchy that we should actually not have any of this um, at the same time there is no other way to, to give people even a semblance of agency in, in some parts of this country and in some parts of the world because they, they, they don't have any way of standing up for themselves I don't know I don't know the answer I, I'm so grateful I'm not a politician mm. and I love being able to mock and ridicule them at every turn because it's, it's a, I, I don't come from a place where I have to offer a better answer I don't have to solve their problems. They've decided this is the system that they're going to be a part of, and they're going to steamroll ahead. And if they, they screw up, I'll be the first one to tear them a new asshole. But if they do a good job, I'll also be the first one to say, well done. I didn't think you'd su succeed. I, I don't think a lot of politicians will succeed. In fact, I reckon from the outside looking in, their success chances are very, very slim. So when they do get it right, I'm happy to give them credit. 
it never lasts. It never makes any difference. In the course of human history, um, th- th- there are winners and losers, and it all depends who writes the history. So, Gareth, um, have you? Be- I've known you for about a year now, <clears throat> maybe a bit more. Have you become a lot more, maybe not disillusioned, but despondent with South Africa in general, in the sense that the institutions aren't working in terms of politically and maybe socially. Do you think we're going through a, a tough time or is it just a case of a shitty president, get rid of him and a lot of issues will be solved? Could you used to be quite upbeat? No, I'm when not. I, I, I'm becoming, far, I'm becoming much more cynical. I'm you. No, I'm, I'm getting older. You know, they, they, there's that old saying, I, I wish I could remember who said it about... Yeah, if yeah. you're if you're not a liberal in your twenties, you have no heart, and if you're not a conservative in your fifties, you don't have a brain. I don't have either. Then I was never liberal, but nevertheless, uh, no, I think yeah, I think you are. I think you you think to each his own, and and social uh, um, rules and, and, I, and canon law shouldn't exist. It and depends that kind on of the definition of liberal. I mean, in that sense, but you're uh, not a leftist. You, no. But I think you're a liberal. Oh, like, sure. You're not going to walk into my house and tell I'm, me I should live my life. I'm left of liberal. I want you. To protect your um, heroin lab with uh, M16. Right. Okay. That's an ideal society. Yeah. You could do that, but nevertheless. Right. But yes, you become, you're becoming a bit disillusioned because you understand more of the system, or is the system just not great to begin with? No, I, I, the more I understand about the system, the more disillusioned I become, in effect. Uh, right. and, and that's just, it's partly an effect of age, but it's also an effect of. You eventually just aren't taken in by the, the nonsense anymore. You're just not hyped up. Like, I don't get hyped up about stuff like I used to once. You know, you th- certain things resonate with you and you go, oh, woo, hooray. I'll never join a mob. I'll never march on anything. I think, I think that's really adolescent behavior, whether you're doing it in your teens or your 50s. Isn't it pointless? It's totally pointless, and it's it's all about being part of something. And most people just want to be a part of something because they've been raised badly, and and a lot of people just didn't have enough love in their lives when they were kids. So they need to feel part of a club. They need to have a father figure. They need to have someone who they can confide in or rely on. All of this stuff that you should have got out of your system when you were still a child, and most people haven't because they were raised badly, if at all. Indeed. Um, and and their parents didn't put in the work and the effort. There's a good reason. Uh, there's a good argument in my book to not have kids because I don't believe it's going to make the world a better place and I don't believe they should come into this world. Well, I think it depends who has kids. I don't think so because then you start getting into very murky waters around whether it's ethical to allow X or Y person to have kids and it's not ethical to allow Z and and, and A people to have kids. No. We shouldn't ever place those kinds of restrictions on people. It's very, very touchy territory. Well, if I had, if I had my, my way, if I was dictator, I would, I would have a switch that sterilizes everyone. And then if you really want to have children, you can have one. But you have to be sure that you actually want one. It's not, I mean, 60% of people are like accidents, right? Most, yeah, well, most people are unplanned. But, but, but here's what and happens. Causes a lot the of, moment you have a child, you, you have to. Societal pressure forces you to say, well, I, it's the best thing that's ever Man, happened to me. No, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. You'll never meet a parent who, who goes, well, this is about the fourth or fifth best thing that's oh, ever happened. I must meet, teach, um, uh, introduce you to some. Yeah, you must, uh, some, some some you. No, you, yeah. never, you never have, I mean, to my, to my experience, again, it's very anecdotal and ad hoc, but to my very limited experience, anyone I've asked about having children, they have to say, there's pressure on them to say, this is the best thing that's ever happened in my life. It's the most rewarding, wonderful Terrific which is, experience. Which is why all new mothers become basically wine alcoholics and, yeah. and post memes about it on Facebook. Look, they're, they're lying, um. <laughs> but, but it's because of social pressure. Yeah. Um, most people are, are, are probably have had the promise of a really impressive career taken out from under them because they had kids. And again, I'm not going to judge. If yeah, people decide to do that, that's their business. I've decided not to. I don't see how producing offspring of my own would contribute to the world being a better place. Okay, but hold I on. I don't see how you're, that'll happen. You're a student of science, okay? You you, you like science a lot. Mm. I know you specifically chemistry. Yeah. Um, obviously, you believe in evolution, for example, mm-hmm. and, and, no, and all of these kind of... It's not a matter belief. If you don't believe in evolution, you're just a fool. Absolutely, I agree. Um, so, you, you would acknowledge that for us to continue... Mm. For us to advance as a species, for us to continue going, yeah. um, we have to reproduce. What it's, do you care? It's part of the You're process. You're not going to be here. So you, 
are you completely nihilist in that sense? You would be fine if uh, everyone, you, you know, that that concept of my, I don't know, all my, women my, become infertile tomorrow. My and, brother, and no my brother has two lovely children. Um, whatever genetic material I have, he has. Let him carry it on. I've decided that I'm going to live this life in selfish perpetuity until the day I'm taken off of it. And, and I, I will make contributions in a wider sense. I hope to leave some works which are impressive. I uh, hope to leave some ideas out there that might stand the test of time. I hope to leave things that might last 100 years after but, I'm But dead. nothing will. I mean, you realize Probably that. not. But that's why I, you can be nihilist about it or you can say, well, it's just practical. Because we can see that, you know, every grave stops being visited one and a half generations after that person's dead. Yeah, and even if you <laughs> even if you make yourself a god, uh, even if you literally become Jesus, yeah. um, you know there will be a time at which uh, that uh, ideology that will be rejected. Once Apollo was worshipped like Jesus is now, don't think it won't happen to him. Okay, so staying on the science sort of uh, side of things, what are you excited about? I'm excited about what technology gives us. I'm excited about the opportunity to live forever myself not why create more of me to go on into the future and, and not be the same person i am i want this consciousness to carry on for as long as possible until i've exhausted all the curiosity that is in me and that will take more than a lifetime because there are things that i do want to know about that i don't know anything about and there are things that i know a little bit about that i want to know more about and technology might make it possible for me to live a lot longer it might enable me to it already does to to know things and to find things out um, to understand the, the, the world, the universe, the, 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 the meat vehicle, and everything else better than I do. Assuming we're not in a simulation. If, if we're in a simulation, that'll be exciting to discover too. It'll mess up a lot of people's ideas of what reality really is. I'm not afraid of any of that. It, to me, it all represents a greater understanding of who we are, where we are, what we're doing here. And that, that's the point, right? Well, I don't know, know because because yeah. I, I'm not afraid of any of that either. But I think that most people are. So, um, what do you care about? That? Since when are you someone who cares about most people? Since think? when have you become a populist? Yeah. What's, what's this all? I, most I, people, I, just uh, in terms of understanding uh, other people and their motivations for what they believe and what they buy into, uh, don't you think that um, they kind of they don't want uh, any complete truths so they like being um mollycoddled by religion for example yeah. or um by a politician and their ideology or mm. what, whatever it happens to be um people are in fear of being in true control of their of own lives of course they are because it's the most terrifying thing you're you're, you're a, in a vehicle that's traveling at thousands of kilometers an hour effectively through a universe that you don't know the end or the beginning of you don't have any signposts along the way. There's nothing to guide you. And complete control is as terrifying as having no control whatsoever. But it's preferable. It's preferable only on that final 1% where I'd rather it was up to me, whether it ends badly or it ends well, than it was up to someone else. I think that's the point of being conscious, is that at some point you have agency. At some point you get to decide. You have personal accountability for how this thing results. And if it results well, that's a life well lived, and you can go to sleep, and you'll feel good about it. And it won't matter once you're gone, but while you were alive, it did. And even if 90% of the time you spend trying to get to that point, if you don't get there, that's also more satisfying than having spent your life just wandering aimlessly with no purpose at all. This is much deeper than I expected, I must be honest. <laughs> right, well, we're going to finish off in a little while. So, Gareth... I have two questions for you. I've been trying to ask you for the whole year. Number one, why the hell did you allow us in your... <laughs> let us have a show. And number two, um, 2017, what are the, the, the big plans for, for Cliff Central? Because without blowing smoke up your ass too much, I do think Cliff Central is, is going to be the most honest representation of, of, of content the, well, the then, country, I think it already is but then you've, you've already answered your first question um, because I want people who have different points of view I know you guys and the frankly speaking people are on polar opposite ends of what you believe to be in your case you think that they just peddle lies basically and that they're all uh, consumed by well, ideology escaped, uh, mental asylum uh, yeah well they, they think really. they think you two are insane uh, right-wingers that are probably uh, arming the next uh, 
Budamach. I mean, who knows? The point is, I just love the fact that we can have these two different shows under the same roof. And I do love the fact that, like any good family, you have an aunt who you completely hate and loathe and despise, but you have a cousin who you really get along with well. You have a, a sibling who is the best thing ever, and you have another sibling who you just can't stand to be with for more than five seconds. That's a normal, healthy family. And anybody who tells you that everybody always gets along is living in cloud cuckoo land. And anybody who tells you that everyone never gets along is clearly an instigator. So somewhere in this whole picture, I would like what we're building here to become a source of education, uh, inspiration, um, interest, uh, narrow casting, niche broadcasting, the kind of thing where you can go in and find the content that really turns you on. Because it is a world of choice that we've entered into. And if you guys can provide some part of that choice, and clearly you are, um, then we're doing the right thing. And, and let this freedom of speech reign. Let's, let's not count anything out. Let's not count out the fact that black first, land first, won't get the kind of coverage that they will anywhere else. And maybe they deserve a show here as much as you know, imagine the Penny Sparrow show. <laughs> I mean, I don't imagine that any time in the future, right? But there should be a world where one day all points of view are taken as just points of view. And we don't get emotional upset about them because we know we can beat them with our ideas. And in the marketplace of ideas, the best one will always win. But if you're not prepared to go into that marketplace of ideas, it's probably because your ideas are cuck. Or you don't have an open mind. I mean, that's that's the the, yeah. the the problem we face. Is many people just and then you can't call yourself a engage. liberal if you don't have an open mind. That's that's number. That's the starting blocks for a liberal. Open mind, right? Yeah, and and dismissing dismissing anyone you don't like with you know words that you you you, you well, either make up look, or are derogatory. We've we've got a long way to go, and there are sensitivities because people's feelings are an important part of this. For some people, it's all they've got: their feelings. They don't have anything else. So what your show is probably going to end up fighting with people about more than anything else is that because you don't give feelings the credit that they deserve in some people's minds, you're essentially invalidating them because they haven't had – on the Maslow's hierarchy, they're, they're on a level where they haven't had a chance yet to interrogate things from an intellectual or factual point of view. And again, this is not me being patronizing, but I'm trying to look at it psychologically. Perhaps they're still at a point where they're too broken to be able to construct an argument. And any kind of argument from you is going to be an offense. It's going to be an attack on them, on their basic integrity. Because intellectually, they're not prepared to engage in something where they haven't yet got the weapons or where their weapons were fashioned in a different factory to yours. And in that case, I do think that there's room for a, a rapprochement between the two where the left has to concede that some of the time, the reason that they're angry and they're, they're full of feelings and emotions and righteousness is because very often they, they feel disabled by the tools of intellectual discourse. Because the, the philosophy that they've adopted from the get-go, which they either will spend their lives building upon or deconstructing, that that philosophy is deeply flawed. And on the right, there are philosophies that are deeply flawed, but a lot of those have been discredited by history already because most of history has been a fight against the right. So if you take the whole of human history, mm -hmm. most of it is a fight against authoritarianism, is a fight against particularly the last 500 years of human history. It's been against chiefs and kings and priests and popes and rabbis and people who've told us that they come from a place of authority, essentially the right. Those people are mostly thoroughly discredited now. So it's the left's turn to break down their own philosophies, which are quite new. You know, Marx was only two or three hundred years ago. Not even. One hundred and eighty. Somewhere like that. Yeah. The point is, those are very young philosophies. Uh, so in the scheme of things, they still have to have their own internal uh, enlightenments. Reformation. And when they have those enlightenments, they'll either improve their arguments at the same time or they will realize that the, the error of their ways and have to turn on other arguments, to turn in different directions, philosophically. That we shall see. Um, all right. So when's your next gig? 
Sorry, we were supposed to promote his uh, Jeff gigs coming up as a DJ. No, you've been him? <laughs> um, I haven't done one of those for ages. I don't think I'd do them anymore. Get out of here. Thank you. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate yes. it. Thank you. Um, we're away for three weeks of December, so uh, some of our... Uh, best shows of the year um, will be replayed on Cliff Central. Uh, you can obviously download any of our podcasts either from Cliff Central or on iTunes. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, give our page a like, at uh, Renegade underscore report on Twitter. And uh, we look forward to chatting with you and engaging with you in 2017. So when's our first show in January? The 10th. January the 10th. January the 10th. We'll be back. Uh, have a good Christmas pagan traditional holiday. Happy um, holidays. Enjoy plets. <laughs> Apparently it's nice this time of year, I wouldn't know. But nevertheless, thanks see, so much. See you all next year. Catch you next time. Bye. Cliffcentral.com